starting with verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how then shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. There will be great shame for all that do not believe in Jesus. As horrific as hell is, and hell, of course, is where people go now, uh, it's nothing compared to the lake of fire, which hell will be thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire, just preceding the lake of fire, will be the great white throne judgment. And at the great white throne judgment, um, the fear and the dread of that, where it says even that, the heavens fled away because the presence of God and all of his glory and all of his wrath uh, would be frightening beyond description. But the shame of standing there before the Lord in all of your sin and knowing that you had rejected God's only begotten son, that you had rejected the way, the truth, and the life. So the combination, it's, it's, it's probably far more than our mind can fathom. I think if our mind could fathom it, many people would immediately get saved tonight. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if you could really see, and this is what uh, the, uh, when Jesus told the story of the man who uh, had gone to hell and, and he said, I'm tormented in this flame. He, he was convinced that if his brothers could only experience or even see or even get a, not even see it, just get an eyewitness account from him passed on to them that they, would, that they would believe, that they would believe in Christ, that they would turn from their sin, that they would believe the word of God. But, uh, you know, Jesus said they have Moses and the prophets. Of course, um, if you're not going to believe them, they wouldn't believe even if someone would come back from the dead. So we know that if we don't believe in God, there is a certain and fearful judgment, an expectation of eternity separated from God, but eternity in torment, and at a one-time, face-to-face judgment day. You know, a lot of people like to use that you know, statement for all kinds of things, uh, you know, work-related, project-related, but there really is a judgment day. ESPN likes to use it for a big Saturday in the fall with a bunch of college football games, and, but really judgment day you don't, nobody wants to be there for Judgment Day. And everyone that will be judged will, though, will be those that did not believe God. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. They have not believed in the, in the report. I probably should have read the previous verses that we covered last week, but up in verse 9, 
if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised from the dead, you'll be saved. Saved from what? Well, we know that that is saved. A lot of times people that don't know anything about the Bible, they don't know the gospel, they may have heard this term saved, and it means nothing to them, right? It doesn't mean anything uh, unless you have really been saved from something. And you know you've been saved from something. Uh, People that have been saved from uh, cancer or saved from uh, triple bypass or saved from... They have a lot of gratitude to the doctors, don't they? Uh, Or that the medical procedures work. They have a lot more appreciation for it. Uh, Somebody else doesn't doesn't give it much thought because they've not experienced that type of... Uh, saving grace, and in that form is just something that uh, is temporal, obviously extends the life, but we're talking about being saved from eternity of separation from God, death, and hell. We know that being saved is not just some term, it's being saved from what we deserve, the punishment that we so richly deserve And we know that we're saved because of what Jesus had done. In Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Right? So we all have a curse. We're born under the curse. This all goes back to Adam and Eve. There's the curse that began in the garden. It goes on to say, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And, of course, uh, to hang on a tree... um, was a very shameful thing, uh, even in the time of the Romans. uh, It was one thing uh, to die, uh, but they wanted you to die a death that was extremely shameful, Uh, usually completely naked, beaten, bleeding, profusely suffering, crying out in agony. It was meant to be humiliating as well as painful, as well as frightening, and the list goes on and on. And Jesus, of course, was cursed and became a curse for us that we would escape the curse of sin and death. We know that when Adam and Eve fell, uh, that death and the punishment of, uh, of sin passed on to all of us. The only way of escape, the only way we could be saved, is that Christ would come and take our place, of which he did. And so the, verse 14, how then, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Um, If you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. But you also, and how shall they believe in him and who have they not heard? You also need to hear the message of the gospel. Both are very important. If you're going to believe on something, someone has to share the truth with you. And so Jesus, of course, came and he told the world that he was the truth, that he was the way. He told the disciples these same things, and as he taught them and uh, over the three-year ministry explained that he indeed was the Christ, that he would suffer and die and be raised from the third day, and uh, of course every time he said that they didn't quite get it until after it took place, and then they finally realized, and their belief was far stronger uh, than it was before. Peter's belief before the cross wasn't near as strong. He, was, uh, he denied Christ three times, but after, after the resurrection... <laughs> Uh, they were so convinced. This is why the resurrection is so important. The resurrection convinced them all that 
beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, they were already believers in Christ, but they, their faith was strengthened. The belief was that much stronger uh, that they themselves would all die, all but John would die a martyr's death. All would die similarly uh, to the Lord. They would be baptized, as Jesus said, with the same baptism. But we, when we hear the truth, we have to believe on it for ourselves. No one else can make the decision for you. you know, you'll meet people uh, that, um, that say, of course, I'm a Christian. My parents were Christian. My grandparents before them were Christian. My great-grandpappy was a Christian before that. You know, it's like, that, that's great, but they can't actually make this decision for you. What about you? Well, then you'll find someone else. Well, I was christened. Okay, that, that's wonderful, uh, but I don't know that uh, I found many infants that have a clue what's going on when that takes place, so that, that won't help you. What, what do you believe? Well, I believe in God. No, 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 that's not, that's not the question. Lots of people believe in God, or at least their own definition of God. Uh, the demons believe in God, right? They fear and tremble. They believe in God, but they reject God. Uh, they, they knew God was the true and living God, and they still follow Satan. A third of the angels decided to leave their heavenly abode because they were more interested in doing what they wanted to do. I said, so it's not, do you believe in who God is? Do you believe on Jesus Christ? Do you believe on the name of Christ? Have you been purchased by his blood? Have you repented? Have you turned from sin? Uh, as Paul mentioned back in the ninth verse, have you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart? And we talked more about that uh, in the last session, uh, that how important it is that it has to be at the heart level. It cannot be just words that we speak. It has to be at the heart level, do we really believe? But it's something everyone has to do for themselves. Martin Luther said, every man must do two things alone. He must do his own believing and his own dying. And we know it's appointed unto man once to die. No one else can die in your place. Uh, your soul is attached to your body, not somebody else's. Uh, and nobody else can believe for you. A parent, uh, as much as we as parents would want to believe for all of our kids, and I do would agree that as we do believe in the truth, we have great influence. God wouldn't have given us kids in the first place if we couldn't have an influence on them. We have great influence in them coming to believe, but at the end of the day, they will have to do their own believing. They will have to say, yes, I too believe in the name of Jesus. I ask him to be my Lord and Savior. I will now take up my cross and follow him. The belief is so strong, uh, but again, it's so personal. It has to be something that each and every one of us uh, do in response to what God has given us. He gives us truth. He gives us more than, I, I, said, I said often, he gives us more than enough information, more than enough truth, more than enough light. He's given light to every man, so what will we do with it? Will we believe or will we not believe? You know, Jesus in Mark chapter 9, there was the Father. He'd come down from the Mount of Transfiguration and and uh, the disciples, of course, they couldn't cast out the demons of this, uh, of this young boy. And the father uh, himself uh, knew that Jesus was the only hope. And, and Jesus is always the only hope, amen? In all situations, salvation, but also whether it's physical healing, whether it is uh, we don't have a job, whether it's uh, we can't figure out how we're going to pay these bills, whether, how are we ever going to get out of debt. Uh, no matter what it is, whatever the problems in life are, uh, beyond 
our biggest need and our biggest problem, that being the salvation of our soul. Jesus is always the answer. And Jesus said to this man, he says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. I love the uh, response of the father. We all know what this feels like. He says, immediately the father, the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, we all, even when we fully believe, there's enough unbelief because we can't see beyond the temporal realm. If we could see all the things God sees, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be stopped by so many things, hindered by so many things, distracted by so many things. And that's what this father is saying, Lord, I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt you can believe, you can, you can cast out these demons from my son, and yet at the same time, I had this nagging doubt all at the same time. But we have to believe based on faith. We say, Lord, I may not understand everything, but I still believe. Watchman Nee said, many confuse understanding with believing. Uh, I, I decided a long time ago that I would believe God even if I don't understand God. And I surely can't be alone, amen? Because many things, far more, uh, probably far more things I wouldn't understand about God than I would understand about God. So the longer I'm saved, the amount of things that I understand about God could probably fit in a thimble. But it's more, that thimble is more than deep enough and more than wide enough to know that everything he says is true. Um, without God even giving uh, a tremendous amount of evidence, I still believe he's true. And, you know, if you look around the world, God hasn't, or God certainly has given us a, a tremendous amount of evidence in the physical realm. Uh, we see the changed lives of ourselves uh, me and my wife were having this conversation. We, a lot of times we'll go on a, a walk in the morning. Uh, it's tremendously good for my back, and you know, the older we get, it's good for both of us. But we also get to pray, and we'll get to talk, and so we'll go uh, in, in the uh, early morning, go for, a, uh, go for a walk, and we'll talk about things. You know, we were talking about just what God's done in our lives over the years and transforming our lives. And it's interesting to look back, and in my life, and you might be able to uh, recognize the same thing in yours, because it certainly applied to my wife as well. And many of the things that God has done in my life, I didn't even have when I started doing, let's say it was something God told me in the scriptures to do. I didn't even have super deep convictions in it. I would just start to do it. And over time, I've just believing that God said to do this, I'll do it. And they become deep in the fabric of who I am today. Uh, they become uh, automatic. They become uh, to the point that the things that God has taught me in the scriptures that I believe, I believe, they, I believe in them just as much as I believe there's seven days in a week. Right? They say, well, that's a simple thing. Of course there's seven days in a week. I've never doubted that for a second. Exactly. You don't doubt it because you've experienced it for so long, you don't have any doubt that there's seven days in a week. If someone tries to tell you there's only six days in a week, you'll ignore them, won't you? 
If someone tries to tell me now, the earth came from a primordial uh, little uh, amoeba, I think that's hilarious. It does not have the slightest impact on me at all. If someone tells me that there was this big bang, and out of the big bang, weird Saturn appeared, and then at Jupiter, and then over here, was it, I, I, to me, that is fantasy. I mean, it's foolishness is what it is. It's utter foolishness. And then if someone tells me Jesus didn't really exist, it doesn't have any impact on me at all. Or the Bible's not really true because it was translated so many times that we can't be sure of its authenticity and veracity. I don't... It does, none of those things have any impact. The longer you're saved, the more that you walk with the Lord, the more that you believe what God says, let God be true and every man a liar. And that certainly applies to us as well. But Stuart Chase, he was a writer and an economist uh, in the 1800s, late 1800s, he said, for those who believe, no proof is necessary. For those who don't believe, no proof is possible. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? You could, show, you could try and tell someone, I remember, you know, I'll never forget, I've mentioned it before when I drove back uh, from Cincinnati, Ohio on 9-12, the day after 9-11, and the, the gentleman I had to ride back with, uh, we worked together at Microsoft, he was an atheist, and of course, I was a born-again believer that had already been working on him, but you know, we talked about, I mean, we had an eight-hour car ride from Cincinnati to Charlotte. I think I took him around the globe. And from Genesis to Revelation, there was no amount of evidence that could prove that sin was evident. I'm like, so do you really think that, that when someone says, I'm going to plow a plane into the towers, that that's an okay thing to do? That there's no moral, there's no moral equivalence to that? And I don't know, my next door neighbor's cat killing a squirrel? Are they the same? Or can we actually understand that God actually that the evil in this world is evidence of a fallen man and a fallen nature. And we went through all these things. But again, if you believe, once you believe in the Lord, I don't even need God to prove anything to me anymore. Not that God has ever, by the way, God never tries to prove anything. He makes a statement and it stands. Whether you want to believe it or not, God doesn't make his case to us. He wrote his work, he wrote his love letter the Bible to us, but he does not try and, uh, if that was the case, he would come down and debate Richard Dawkins himself. But he doesn't. Because he knows that Richard Dawkins will have a choice to make. You'll either believe in me or you'll face me on Judgment Day. I don't, I am not, I'm not nearly bothered by whatever you say in the press and whatever you tell people. The evidence is there. The proof is there. Uh, we have a conscience. We, we looked at this earlier in the book of Romans where Paul talks about our conscience bearing witness. We know we do wrong. Little children, we had VBS here last week, they know when they've done, those of you that were with the kids, you knew they knew what they did wrong before they you know, were even found out. It's on their face. We have this guilt complex. We know that uh, sin is in our life. We know we're guilty. And yet, all the proof still won't convince those that refuse to believe. But when we do believe, when we believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, not only does the belief save our 
souls. And not, don't, not only does that belief all of a sudden put us in a right relationship with God and we begin to learn from the Lord, we begin to uh, reflect His image, but God transforms our life. Spurgeon said, faith is the surest of all sin killers. Faith is the surest of all sin killers. You can never clean up your life before believing. It's just temporary. Um, many people have tried to do this. But when you believe, and, and this is specific to sin, uh, people are able, with the power of positive thinking and seminars and tapes and yoga and meditation and all the other things that are out there that the world has to offer, they can accomplish some goals. And, and, and by the way, Satan doesn't mind you accomplishing some goals as long as you go to hell. Right? So he's perfectly fine with you conquering some little mountains. And when I say little mountains, they, they won't mean much uh, once, you're, once you're dead. As a matter of fact, even big mountains, if, if, you're, if your life goal was you, you, were, uh, you were a multimillionaire and you thrive on the next big accomplishment and you get to climb Mount Everest, which every year some people do, and you get to put that little flag up there and join the others that have accomplished it, you can accomplish those kind of things. And you can do that with hard work, training, power of positive thinking. But you can't, con you can't conquer sin. We see this with a lot of our politicians, don't we? They can't stop lying, no matter how much they try. And I'm not just trying to pick on politicians. I mean, they're, they're an easy target sometimes. But lots of other, anyone you meet, you've heard people say, I just can't stop doing this. You can't stop doing it. Faith in Christ, believing on the name, it, it comes with the power of God. And the power of God can knock out and destroy the, the chains that you can't get out. Jesus said, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. There is no other way. This belief, when we call upon the name of the Lord, when we believe, it transforms us. Genesis uh, 15, 3, all the way back, and Paul, of course, referenced Abraham as well, uh, but all the way back in Genesis 15, Abraham, it said of him, and he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Believing God was transformational for Abraham. Believing God was God imparting. When God says, or, or, or God sees that we believe what he says, and we believe specifically on the name of Jesus, we believe in his blood and we confess, Lord, we don't know anything, but we believe what you have said. We believe that your son is the only way. We believe that we are sinners and we need forgiveness. We cry out for mercy. This belief that Abraham had, it's accounted unto us as righteousness, just as it was to Abraham. God then gives us his righteousness. And now with Christ living in us, Jesus is the one that begins, you can't clean house, but Christ in you begins to clean house. You know, you would not desire, if you were unsaved, you would not desire to live for Christ. You just go do your own thing. This is what the world does. This is what I did before salvation. Uh, I've said before, uh, it, it, I would not be here on a Wednesday night if I wasn't saved. Because there's lots of other things I would probably in my flesh prefer to do with my time. 
Now, I love coming here now. I couldn't force my, I couldn't make, I couldn't make up that yearning, but because I believe in Jesus, I therefore believe all the other things that he says is important. In other words, the belief point with him changes all of my priorities. It makes me want to pastor a church, even though there's other things in life I could go achieve or do. And God says, but what are that, what's that going to amount to? The only thing that matters is my plan for you. And you either believe that or you don't believe that. But when we believe, all things are possible. God will change and radically change our lives. Mark 5, 36, Jesus says, Do not be afraid, only believe. Only believe. We begin our Christian walk with believing. We continue in our Christian walk in believing. Of course, you know... The, probably the most famous, even, even the one that many in the world would know, is, is John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Now they know, most, many people know John, uh, John 3, 16, but let me read 17 and 18 as well. John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world, condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Jesus identifies two sides of the ledger. There's, basic, there's only two, he says. Believe and unbelieve. The condemned are unbelieving. The saved believe. He comes with his testimony. For those that are saved, we say, yes, Lord, I believe. And the rest of our life, we keep saying, yes, Lord, I believe. We'll read a verse that convicts us. I've never done that before. Lord, are you telling me I should now start fasting? I've never fasted in my life. Lord, are you telling me I should start give a, a, a portion of my income to you? I've never done that, Lord. Are you telling me that I should go out and witness to people? I've never done that. Are you telling me I should be praying more? Uh, and so God will continue to speak to you, and you say, yes, Lord, I believe that's from you because it's in your word, and therefore I will do it. But it started with salvation, whereas if you don't believe, if you don't believe in God, for salvation, you don't have to believe anything else he says either. But the wrath of God abides on you. You're condemned already. You and I, before we got saved, we were already condemned because we had not believed. And again, this goes back to people would say, but I, 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 already, I did believe all that stuff, I just didn't follow. And I don't know where that kind of jumping off point is where not following uh, and not believing, uh, they're very closely related. Uh, but when you really believe something's important, you tend to get going, right? If I tell you, hey, uh, your kitchen's on fire, and you think I'm kidding, you might say, funny, if you turn around and you see it's on fire, you have a different motivation level now to do something. You now believe with a different level. Well, of course, you didn't believe it at all because you didn't think it was that important. And this is what Jesus is saying, that the condemnation, if you would realize the condemnation that's upon you, that your unbelief will someday cost you everything. 
But those that believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're transformed, they're changed, but it's a permanent thing. And it's so sad how many people won't believe. Most of the world, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many thereby go that way. It's easy to not believe God because you have a lot of company. Lots of people will pat you on the back and say, you're a thinker. If you ever read quotes, you know, um, since I, I, I get different, I, I follow like Ravi Zacharias on Twitter and, and, and a lot of atheists like to fire things at him and Ray Comfort. And, and, uh, but you, when you read the comments specifically from atheists, um, many people are practical atheists. As a matter of fact, anyone that, re- anyone that rejects Christ in favor of sin and the pleasures of this world is a practical atheist. But then you have the hardcore atheists that are out to prove to everybody else that they are really smart and they've thought this whole thing through and the rest of you uh, blind sheep uh, just don't know what you're talking about. And you see the comments that are made and you realize that the rejection, the hatred towards God is personal. It is completely one's choice to say, I don't care what you show me, I will not believe. And not only will I not believe, I want to convince other people to not believe. So like I said, if you don't believe in God, whether you're a practical atheist and you just choose to follow the passing pleasures of sin, you'll have a lot of company. Go to any college campus in America and stand on a box and say, I hate God, but I love to party. You'll have all the friends you want. Now, have someone else stand on the box and say, I love Jesus Christ and I want you all to be saved, you'll get stuff thrown at you. Amazing. All it is is two sentences said by two people. They could look identical, but the one will be received. I don't, I don't, I don't care. Any secular university, you will be received as a hero, especially if you wear like a rainbow flag and everything else to go with it. Right? You stand up and say, can't stand God, I love to party, all of us should do every, th- every pleasure we possibly want, everyone there will be your friend. You stand for the Lord. It's a very narrow, Jesus said it's a narrow road, narrow road. And that's why a lot of people reject believing, because believing, they believe, will cost them more than they're willing to pay. And Jesus has already paid the price, Amen. I don't have to pay it. He's already paid it for me. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 11, said, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? And that was, this, that was the children of Israel. They had seen all the evidence. We've been going through the book of Exodus. It wasn't that they hadn't seen the Red Sea and the plagues and all the things that God had done. And yet the Lord asked Moses, Moses, have I not done enough? How long will they, you know, Moses and God talked face to face, you know, as we talked about on Sunday. Not face to face, literally, but the voice of God, Moses would actually have voice conversations with God. And Moses would be like, I don't know, Lord. I've told them eight million times. You've shown them. They see a cloud every day. They see a pillar of fire every night, and they still refuse to believe you. And I look at America, and how, how much more blessing could God give our country if we wouldn't say, he's been awful good to us. 
we probably shouldn't turn and go the other direction. And especially us as believers, we have the most to be thankful for. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 31 through 33, it says, You saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents to show you the way you should go and the fire by night and the cloud by day. There's God again giving his own witness of his own evidence saying, I've put it all out there for you. This is how much I love you. I love you this much that I saved you from 400 years of slavery. I brought you out. I promise you a land of milk and honey. And most of you still will not believe. You refuse to believe. In Titus chapter 1, verse 15, it says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. We find another truth here. When people don't believe in God, a society and an individual and a culture becomes more and more perverse. Hmm, that seems like front page news, doesn't it? Because when people don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe God, to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled, unbelieving, nothing is pure, and even their mind and conscience are defiled. When we reject truth, we replace it with evil. It's not, it's not like a neutral thing. A lot of people think, well, if I reject God, uh, I'll still be a pretty good person. No. Over time, if you reject God, then the mind and the heart become harder, or the heart becomes harder, the mind becomes more and more open to anything. And, it's, and it happens on a societal level, too. As the United States rejects God, then we see collectively a more debased culture, much more debased. The things that, uh, you know, I mentioned college campuses, the things that are on college campuses happening every single day, and especially on the weekends at a college campus today, are much worse than they were in the 40s or 50s. Not to say that, you know, some things have always been around, but the proliferation becomes more, the debase becomes more, what is acceptable, what is the norm, uh, what we hear now, the new normal for everything, uh, that's because of a rejection and what God says of truth. We don't believe what God says, but we'll believe PhD from Harvard says. Who, if we could see his private thoughts, you would say, why do we believe this individual? Right? Can you imagine if we could see the private thoughts of the people that we hold in such high esteem? We'd realize truly the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. And why would we put such belief in these things. In Revelation 21, of course, this is what happens at the great white throne judgment, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. But notice, cowardly and unbelieving. They go hand in hand, by the way. Cowardly and unbelieving. Cowardly because you're afraid of what everyone's going to think, so even if I do kind of believe this, I'm too concerned about what everyone's going to think, so I will go with the flow. But unbelieving, eh, I don't care how much evidence you give me. Eh, your life, I'm glad, I'm glad you found something that works for you. 
No, no, it didn't just work for me. I, I'm a changed person. I used to live this way, and now I live this way. I used to believe this, and God changed me. I used to not care about people. Now I care about people. I used to not want to do anything for God. Now I want to live for him every day. I couldn't have made this change. God did it for me. Yeah, whatever floats your boat. For you, it's that. Someone else, it's Hinduism. Instead of believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How will they believe unless... Or how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. This beautiful gospel. Psalm 33, 1 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. It's not only, it's not only the gospel that's beautiful. If you listen to that verse in Psalm 33, 1, Praise from the upright is beautiful. The beginning of our salvation is beautiful, but the work that God does, the rest of our life is beautiful. And it may not look beautiful in this lifetime because we can't see it from God's perspective, right? My grandfather uh, liked to paint. He was actually really good at it. My brother has some of those skills. I I have some minuscule skills in art here and there, but uh, not the same when it comes to painting. But when a painting starts, and I used to watch my grandfather paint, when a painting starts, it doesn't look like much at the outset. A lot of times it's just a bunch of spots. But over time, God pulls it all together, doesn't he? And this is what he does with our life. I mean, salvation is beautiful. The feet of those who brought salvation to us, uh, I will always have a special place in my heart uh, for Bob Coy, because I got saved at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, at an altar call, preaching from Revelation chapter 3. I still remember the text. I remember the message. I'll always have a special place that he preached the gospel to me that day, and not just to me, but that I, when I saw the first time I saw him in California a few years ago, I had to go up and thank him. I'm thankful that someone shared the gospel with me. Now, other people as well, I'll never forget, uh, I don't know her name. Uh, the girl who was cutting my hair that said I could probably be fired. But something's telling me, and she had all these Jesus necklaces on and Jesus bracelets on and everything else, and, and here I am, uh, worldly as the day is long, sitting in the chair, uh, probably planning what I was going to do that Friday night with my friends and stuff, and she's like, I don't know, I'll probably get fired. Uh, I, I could get fired, but God's telling me to tell you and invite you to church. And she was like, almost like, you know, like she was going to, uh, uh, secret police were going to run in or something. But that's beautiful to the Lord that she cared enough, she loved enough to say, I just want to tell you. And it's not just the beautiful feet, but it's the message, the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. We're always so afraid to share the gospel with people. Uh, we're afraid that we're going to bring, what are you, how are you going to bring them bad news? They're condemned already. All you could bring is good tidings. You can be set free. I'm going to ruin their day. They're having a great day. Look, I'm going to ruin it. And you will, if they really get convicted, you will ruin their day. But that's not a bad thing. I remember when I first got, uh, when I first got saved, I didn't have the faith to give up my job as a bartender. I was bartending my way through school. You put a born-again bartender behind the bar, it's not good for business. Uh, <laughs> But 
I didn't have the faith to quit my job. I should have quit because serving people drinks is not a good way uh, to actually help them uh, in life. Um, you know, can I have a double martini, uh, extra dry, one olive? Sure, you know, I know, you know. But I, I had this one guy, he would, he would sit there, and he was always the last one there. So I witnessed, I witnessed him for like an hour and a half. He comes back the next day, he goes, I need a double or a triple or something. I could not sleep a wink last night after you, you know? <laughs> so you will ruin their day, but you're bringing good tidings. Uh, he was an alcoholic. God would want to give him deliverance from that and, more importantly, deliver his soul from eternity in hell. These are good tidings. These are glad tidings that the Lord wants us to bring. In Song of Solomon 6.4, it says, Oh, my love, you are as beautiful as Terzah, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. You think of the things that God compares to beauty. Uh, here he says, in, back in Psalm 33, he says, the upright are beautiful. In Song of Solomon, he says, Jerusalem is beautiful. You see the things that God thinks are beautiful, he thinks the gospel's beautiful. He doesn't value the same things as we do. In Isaiah 4, 2, it says, in that day, the branch of the uh, Lord shall be beautiful. Well, who is the branch? Jesus, he says, is beautiful. Jesus, the righteous of God, and Jerusalem. These are the, these are the things that God calls beautiful, not because, well, Jesus is beautiful for all eternity, but Jerusalem and their uprighteous, that being us that are saved, he makes us beautiful. Jesus is perpetually, eternally beautiful, but he puts the gospel in the category of those things that God considers beautiful. He doesn't consider uh, all the things that people think. He doesn't have diamond rings in here. He doesn't have brand new cars. He doesn't have nice swimming pools and best vacations and all those things. Those are not the things that God gives the title of beauty to. He gives it to a precious heart. He gives it to the upright in heart. He gives it to his son, the branch of the Lord. A.W. Tozer says, all things as they move toward God are beautiful and they are ugly as they move away from him. All things are beautiful as they move towards God. I ask all the question all the time, are you running to God or away from God? There's really only two places. No, I'm just treading water. No. You would be treading the water away if you're treading water. You're either running to him or away from him. But as you run to him, your life, he makes it into something beautiful. It's that canvas of the art again. He's putting the colors together. He's putting the picture together. He's using you to portray the beauty of his son. His son's the branch. If Jesus is beautiful, we would reflect him. I love in Song of Solomon, verse 7, verse 1, it says, How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O prince's daughter. Even in Song of Solomon, now remember that Song of Solomon uh, as a book certainly applies to the marriage relationship, and there's a lot we can learn about having a, uh, a, a marriage that has the intimacy, the love, the affection, the care, the respect, all the things that are to be God-honoring in a marriage, but also Song of Solomon is also about Christ and the church and the bride. So when you understand that uh, Isaiah mentions how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, and Song of Solomon 7.1 says, how beautiful are your feet and sandals, O prince's daughter, it's a picture of the church having the gospel always on their feet. That the Shulamite, 
the bride is a picture of the church, and the church would always have the beautiful gospel on their feet. Now, this isn't true of the church all the time, is it? Many times the gospel's nowhere to be found on the church's feet. It's in a closet locked up, but it's not on the feet, and its beauty is to be right there with us. In Ephesians 6.15, we know that when we put on the whole armor of God, and those of you that helped out with VBS, you got to help the kids with all the different armor pieces. But in the 15th verse, chapter 6, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Not only is it glad tidings, but the more we walk with the Lord, we're to prepare to share it. In other words, we should be praying before we go out of our home, saying, Lord, I know that you've given me this beautiful gospel. I know you've saved my soul. May your gospel be on my lips, on my feet. It's a form of taking it wherever we go. God wants every step we take. When you think about the gospel being on our feet, he wants every step we take to take the gospel with us, not leave it at home. And we're all guilty of oftentimes leaving it behind. We left it in the car. We had an opportunity to share with someone, and we didn't. We blow it a lot, don't we? Many, imagine how many times if Jesus comes and shows you the number of times we've blown it, and he said, you wouldn't walk out of your house without shoes on, unless you live in like Kentucky or West Virginia. I'm kidding if you're from there. But um, I couldn't resist. I have fun with West Virginia football fans with that kind of stuff. But, um, but if you really think about it, If your feet are shod with the gospel of peace, what the Lord is saying, where would you go that you don't go wear shoes? I don't walk into Kroger and bare feet. I've seen little kids do it. And even then I'm thinking, what are their parents thinking? I've seen people drop bottles, you know, things like that. But I don't walk anywhere with bare feet into a a place and the gospel should be the same way. We wouldn't go anywhere without shoes on. We would have the gospel with us wherever we go. You know, I, I was given the book by actually someone in this room a few years ago, Miracles in a Doctor's Life, uh, written back in 1935 of Dr. Uh, Walter Wilson. He said, Our Lord is not limited by time nor place in his dealings with lost souls. The scriptures record divine blessings in the bedroom and on the road, and on, at the pool and in the temple, on a well curb and in a treetop. Some came by day and some by night. Time is no factor with the Lord when the fate of a soul is at stake. Everywhere you go, any minute of the day, if the gospel is with us, it's quick, it's powerful, it's good news in the middle of the night, it's good news, and we never know. We have to be, we don't have enough faith. We should be praying a lot more often, Lord, prepare the way for me, because God will. The more we pray that God would prepare the way for us, the more we'll actually see with the eyes of Jesus. He never missed an opportunity. He didn't, you know, the disciples didn't understand, uh, Lord, why are you going through Samaria? We don't go through Samaria. Yeah, we're going through Samaria. Uh, We don't go through Samaria. We're going through Samaria. And not only are we going through Samaria, I'm going to tell someone about the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to tell someone how they can be saved anytime any place we should be bringing the gospel with us. Um, verse 17, you know it well. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. When we give people the gospel, we don't give them our opinion. Our opinion will not help them at all. We give them the word of God. They hear the word of God, and then God imparts faith. He opens their eyes with enough light. 
The scriptures are the light. And, uh, you can get too bent, you know, bent out of shape trying to learn every apologetic trick. And I don't mean to say, because I, I have good respect for apologetics. Like I said, I love, to, I love to follow Ravi Zacharias and others that the Lord has gifted. But not everybody has that gifting, but everyone has the Word of God. And nothing Ravi Zacharias says is more powerful than what Christ has to say. Amen? That's where the Holy Spirit in us. The Word is powerful. Faith comes by hearing. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Verse 18, their sound has gone out into all the earth, and their words the end of the world. Everyone has had the opportunity to see enough of God's truth to believe. But yet we have the responsibility to take the evidence that God has already placed and then fill their ears with the gospel of Jesus Christ to say, look, and this is why when people go to South America or India or Africa or Los Angeles or New York or wherever you go and you talk to someone that doesn't really know the gospel, but they do observe either nature, sin, uh, my brother committed suicide, so-and-so died of cancer, what's going on in the world, why are there so many wars? I mean, all these different things. Say so You can say, I'm glad you asked. Can I, can I, can I, and by the way, courtesy and kindness will go a long way. Can I share, do you mind if I share with you a couple of things? Do you mind, do you, can you give me like just a couple of minutes, even two or three minutes I can share you a couple of things, then you can decide. And then when we share a little bit from the Lord, God will open their eyes. The, the Holy Spirit is the one who is responsible for the conviction of sin and the proof that judgment is coming and righteousness. The Holy Spirit will speak to their heart and remind them, oh yeah, they'll even remember something. You have no idea. You know when you're talking to someone, you think they're only thinking about what you're talking about, but that's not true. You say, well, I kind of realize they're never thinking what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm married. You know, so uh, anyway, uh, the, 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 the thing is, when you're talking to someone about the Lord, the Holy Spirit is working on the inside and reminding them of things when they were 13, 15, 27, and God begins to speak to them, and all the things that they have seen, God will use these things. Uh, coming to a close, we only got a, a couple of quick minutes here. In verse 19, uh, we know that Israel's hope is Christ. This is not just individually, but as a nation. It's not only the individual's hope, but also a nation. But I say, did Israel not know? I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. You know, when Dr. Hertz is here Sunday, he can talk uh, more about this. Um, I've talked to him and Sam and others about it, you know, about how many Messianic Jewish believers uh, can tell you how they would scratch their heads thinking, what are these goofball Gentiles? Why do they believe in this messed up uh, life of Jesus Christ? You, you know, we reject him. Uh, he blew it at the temple. He got all angry, flipped over some tables. And, you know, they, their estimation of him, of Christ, before salvation uh, is that he was kind of a loose cannon. Uh, he said some good things, uh, or, and some don't believe he existed at all. But at the same time, they are impacted because these same believers not only love Christ, but all of a sudden they love Israel. And they love Jewish people. And they uh, want to tell everyone about why do you, you know, they're looking at you saying, why are you telling people about Isaiah and Exodus? 
and the Psalms and Malachi. That's the Tanakh. Why are you, that's, that's not even your territory. You have, you have Matthew through Revelation. That's your side. He said, no, 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 because when I was in Israel, I spent an hour talking to this guy, Benjamin, and I'm telling him all about the Old Testament. He leans forward and he goes, I've never heard these things. He goes, what? Why have I never heard these things? He never heard of Saul of Tarsus. That's on our side, apparently. But I then told him, again, I tell him about Isaiah, and I told him about, you know, Moses said this, and David said this. Have you not read what David wrote in chapter 22? Have you not read these things? And it provokes them to jealousy, not only individually, but as a, as a nation. The United States has been blessed by the Lord uh, in Israel as a nation. And we, we as a nation have turned uh, in our past to the Lord, and God has uh, really blessed us beyond anyone in history uh, has ever been blessed, maybe other than David and Solomon at the height of their kingdom. But uh, God continues, whether it's to Israel or individuals, in these last couple of verses, Isaiah chapter, uh, or verse 20, Isaiah's boldness says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Certainly we talked about this on Sunday as well, that uh, you know, we, our grace starts with God. God comes to us first. Once we say, yes, Lord, I believe, then he puts it in our heart to continue to follow but the pursuing, and I remember I talking about uh, A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God, the pursuing comes from God. He's the one that sought us first. I uh, came to seek and to save that which was lost. And then we respond to him. But if we don't respond, verse 21, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. If we don't respond, we'll never be able to say to God, well, you didn't really pursue me much. Nobody will ever stand before God. No one will ever stand before God, not a nation or an individual. No one will ever be able to stand before him and say, you know, I would have come to you, but you really didn't reach out to me. Because God will point to his word and say, I, you rode past bumper sticker after bumper sticker, church sign, steeples, radio, as soon as it would come on, you would flip to another station, people would say something, somebody was wearing a shirt, you, you laughed at them over and over again. Again and again, I reached out all day long to you. I put rainbows in the sky. I put beautiful sunsets out there. I did all these kind of things, and you ignored them all. All day long, I've reached out. Psalm 86, 15, he's full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, abundant, and mercy and truth. You know, there's no one will ever be able to blame God. The one thing that uh, can be true is that some of God's people can be blamed for not bringing the gospel of peace. That, but that's not on God. Uh, that would be on some of us, and I hope and pray uh, that we would be humble enough uh, to not only recognize that, but to ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me, Help me to have my feet shod with the gospel of peace because I do believe, help me to take this message to an unbelieving world. Let's close in prayer.